Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hi, friends. Welcome back to our study of 2 Thessalonians. This week we are in chapter 2. We have entitled this lesson series, A Growing Faith, because Paul gives thanks for the growing faith. We even said it was a hyper-growing faith that these believers had in three different circumstances. In chapter 1, we discovered that the circumstance they were living in was the circumstance of persecution. And we were encouraged by their example to live, even with a growing faith, a steadfast faith, an enduring faith, even in that circumstance. Well, as we turn now to chapter 2, we will discover that they're called to have a growing faith even in the circumstance of panic. Let's look at the first two verses of chapter 2. Paul there says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let's look at two words in this particular passage. The first word I want you to pay attention to is this word shaken. This word has the connotation of a house that is shaken by an earthquake. And you can, you can almost visualize this image that Paul has as he says, I don't want you to be shaken, in fact, quickly shaken in your mind. The second word is the word alarmed. Historically, if you look at the background of this word, this word alarmed uh, has to do with the sound that a crowd makes or that a mob makes when it is panicking. It's the sound of a crowd when they are afraid and all of a sudden start to stampede or start to move or start to cry out. And, and you can almost visualize this. Perhaps you've seen crowds like this on the news. So we have these two phrases that Paul says, I don't want you to respond this way. Well, what is causing panic in the church? What we discover is that this group of believers is listening to a wrong voice as well as a wrong message. And I think that these two concepts, to be alarmed and to be shaken, at times can describe, can describe us. I mean, are there times where we listen to the wrong voice and listen to the wrong message, perhaps of culture, perhaps of a literal voice, and it brings us as believers to a state of panic. It, it rocks our faith. It rocks our, our minds and brings anxiety and fear and panic. Of course, we, we observe this. We look around us and we have conversations with other people. We look at what believers post on social media as they read the headlines, as they observe and as they reflect on that. This same panic that Paul is talking about here in these circumstances at times can describe us. So what was the wrong voice? What was the wrong message? Well, Paul's apparently not even sure about the, the source of this voice himself. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, I don't want you to be shaken or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter that, that seems to come from us. Uh, Paul seems uncertain as to who this voice is. But what the voice is saying, what the message is saying, is very clear. Paul says what they're saying is, is that the day of the Lord has come. Now, imagine how shocking, panic-inducing this false voice and false message would have brought to a group of believers that is being persecuted. If Jesus has already come, then the promises that Paul has just discussed at the end of chapter 1 are no longer true for the future. 
If Jesus has already come, then God is not going to bring justice in the future. That, that God is not going to bring relief in the future. That, that Jesus is not going to come and we are not going to marvel at him. In other words, if they believe this voice and this message, then they will also believe this is as good as it gets. And I know to us that that seems silly that they bought into this, that they bought into this false voice and this false message. But I want you to reflect a little bit of some of the, the false ideas and the false messages that we buy into. Perhaps one of them being that Jesus is so long in coming, he's never coming back. That same lie, that same wrong message can bring some of these same panicky responses. If we believe that Jesus is never coming back, then what are we doing? That we can start to panic because we, we go, well, then apparently God's not going to bring justice. Apparently, God's not going to bring relief if Jesus is not coming back. So I, I want us to recognize that this may not be the voice or the message that we have in our day, but at times a wrong message and a wrong voice can solicit from us the same panic of our faith. When it comes to this, we have to ask the question, why, why did they buy into this? What was it about what they believed in their faith that caused them to believe this wrong message and wrong voice? Well, I think a couple things are possibilities. One of the, the issues is possibly what one of the things Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. He said that when Jesus comes, he will come like a thief. Well, that seems like he's going to come secretly and that maybe he'll come undetected. But that wasn't Paul's point in 1 Thessalonians. If you look at it, you'll recognize that he's going to come unexpectedly. You're not going to know when he's coming. But Paul also says there that he's going to come with a loud pronouncement, with an announcement, with a trumpet. And so the idea that you have when you put these two concepts together in 1 Thessalonians, as Elijah taught in our 1 Thessalonians series, is that we will know, but we will not know when. So perhaps they bought into this, but this voice attempts to replace the hope and faith that they have. And, and notice how this induces the panic. The, con the contrast I want you to see in this passage is a contrast between the word of God and the, the word that Paul has spoken to them from the word of God and this wrong word, this wrong message that they have bought into. I think it's that contrast in chapter two that is perhaps the most helpful. That when it comes to preventing panic in our own faith, the way to prevent panic is by having a confidence in the word of God. This is what Paul says over and over again. Notice what he says in chapter two, verse five. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Chapter two, verse 13, Paul continues and he says, God chose you through your belief in the truth. Chapter two, verse 15, Paul says, so then brothers, stand firm, hold to the traditions that were taught to you by us, either by our spoken word or our letter. Paul says, you're being quickly shaken. But the contrast of that is to hold on to the traditions that have been true and that will continue to be true no matter what happens here on earth. Paul reminds them of one of the things that he's taught them, and we don't have the other side of this conversation. Paul says, when I was with you, I told you these things. And we don't have the context of all that Paul taught them. But he talks in this context about a, a, a person who is going to come that he calls a man of lawlessness. This is a picture taken from the Old Testament. It's actually from three prophetic texts, from the book of Daniel, from the book of Isaiah, as well as from the book of Ezekiel. And each of these texts 
pictures a time when a, an earthly ruler is going to come, and this earthly ruler will claim some of the attributes of God. In fact, what we find historically is that rulers did come. Antiochus IV claimed to be the person who manifested himself like God. Out of the Ezekiel passage, there was a king in Tyre who claimed to sit on the throne of God. And we don't know Paul's conversation with the Thessalonians, but apparently he taught them that before the return of Jesus, there's going to be another one like what was pictured in the Old Testament, these traditions there to hold on to. There's going to be another one who's going to come. There's really three basic options for this, and you can imagine how scholars debate about this back and forth. But one option is that they would expect that sometime in their lifetime, someone was going to rise up to look like one of these rulers who claimed to be like God and perhaps even set in the place of God. In fact, in 70 AD, just about 19 years after this, Rome would sack Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. And many of the Jewish believers, as well as Christians, would look at that moment and say, this is another one of those fulfillments, like what we have seen with Antiochus and the prophecies of the Old Testament. So perhaps, like what Jesus prophesied, that the temple would be destroyed, perhaps this is what Paul has taught them in his conversation with them, is that before Jesus comes back, Jesus' own prophecy that the destruction of Jerusalem needs to take place. Another option is that somewhere down the road in the future, maybe even still in our future, there is an, an ultimate person, like the picture that we are given in the prophecies of the Old Testament, like the, the images we have of multiple kings that rise up to usurp the authority of God, to oppress God's people. Perhaps there's someone coming in the future that will be the ultimate fulfillment of this. Likely, we will never know until God brings all of this, what Paul says, mystery to conclusion. But notice that what Paul says is you don't need to panic. You see, even if we want to look at the newspaper today and find our own man of lawlessness in the newspaper today, even if we want to look at the political rising of different candidates and people and rulers around the world and look at them and say, look, here's someone who's putting themselves in the place of God, someone who is oppressing God's people. The message of 2 Thessalonians remains the same. Whether the Thessalonians would have seen this fulfilled, this man of lawlessness fulfilled in Jerusalem in 70 AD, or just seen it as being a picture that comes again and again and again until the coming of Jesus, the message for our growing faith remains the same. Rather than being alarmed and responding as believers with this mob mentality that runs and that cries out in fear, that's what Revelation says that we do when we have placed our hope in this world. So we cry out, whoa, whoa, when Babylon falls. Or rather than being shaken in mind, Paul says, quickly shaken in mind. And I see this in us. At times when the headlines read something, we as believers can quickly forget the truth that God has spoken in his word. And our minds, our anxiousness, our panic, can quickly rattle our minds like an earthquake does a building that should stand firm. What is the remedy for this panic, regardless of how we understand this, this text about the man of lawlessness and the, the one who holds him back? We don't have that other side of the conversation to know completely, but the remedy we know, because Paul again and again affirms it, how we remain steadfast is by staying firm and confident in the word of God. Paul says in opposition to those who are holding on to the traditions, those who are listening to his words, those who are believing in the truth, that those who follow the, the man of lawlessness, those who believe in this lie, that believe in these wrong voices, they're the same people who trust 
in the lie. They're the same people who believe in the lie, or they refuse to trust the truth. They refuse to believe the truth. So we stand firm. We're confident. We are like the building that even when the world is panicking and shaking, even when the storm is raging and the seas are being tossed, we can stand firm because we know that God's word is firm. Remember what I said about the growing faith that we had in chapter one? It's growing because we're connected to Jesus like those branches are connected to the vine. Life is coming from Jesus to us, allowing us to bear fruit. But we are also like what Peter says, a newborn infant, a newborn baby, and we find nourishment in God's word, and that nourishment makes us strong. That nourishment helps us to continue to grow. That's what Paul continues to say. But as we bring this lesson to a conclusion, notice what he says in verses 16 and 17. Paul says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, May he comfort your hearts and establish them for every good work and word. Notice the words of confidence here. Comfort, establish. Paul knows that in Jesus, because of the faith that we have, no matter what is going on in the world around us, our foundation is firm. God is our, as the Psalms say, our fortress. Chapter 3 opens up with a prayer, and it continues this theme of confidence. Notice what he says in chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. The Lord is faithful. We need a bigger view of God. We need a bigger view of God so that we can better understand the circumstances around us. And whether those circumstances are like chapter 1, persecution, or whether those circumstances induce panic in us because of a wrong voice and a wrong belief, we turn to God's word And we can stand in confidence because of who God is. Paul says, the Lord is faithful and he will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. And we will have confidence in the Lord about you, Paul says, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Let me encourage you that no matter what your headlines read, no matter what the headlines of the world around you read, God is always faithful. And we can look throughout the Bible and find moments where God's people journeyed through the circumstances of panic, journeyed through moments of uncertainty, and how God always rescued them and brought them through. So we turn to God and we look to him and we discover that he is faithful and we in him can endure. I want to invite you next week to jump into the rest of chapter three in this third circumstance that we have as a growing faith. We discover in chapter three that we can have a growing faith even when other people are giving up and they're no longer being productive in their faith, but God calls us to be productive. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christchurch, visit us online at cco.church.